Is that Glock? Well, I'm tripping major nutsack right now. Oh, send it! Welcome to the world of winning. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Switchback Formula One podcast. My name is Graham, and joining me as always, it's it's the dirtiest Grand Theft Auto V driver. It's Luke Holmes. How dare you? Honestly, <laughs> how dare you? I did nothing of the sort. I'm the cleanest... <laughs> machine on there uh-huh. don't even give me that shit <laughs> you're also like the sweatiest driver what do you mean I, I won one, one race and it was the last one was it the last one the bikes yeah that's the only one I won no I didn't win Kia won the one the sweat oh that's right <laughs> yes <laughs> oh dear um, yes uh, very some very questionable driving in our recent sessions. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what you mean. I definitely didn't try and take you out <laughs> the first opportunity I got. <laughs> mm. That's not me. Are you sure? I'm very sure. <laughs> I'm Richard for sure, in fact. Wow. Yes. Okay, so you're pretty sure then. Yes. As always, as it should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, anywho, we are we are back for another another week. Uh, it's, we're only in mid January, uh, although we do have some. Like I do, we we do have some content. Uh, we do have some content carrying over from last week, but also like soon we'll like it won't be that long until we're talking about, you know, car launches. Like Aston Martin, I think is going to be the first one. I think it's February tenth. It's actually early enough. Yes, yeah, it's right at the start of the week, though, where I expected them to start getting announced, and I'm sure Alfa Romeo will probably do theirs on Valentine's Day, which is what they normally seem to do. Mm. So they'll all start coming out around then. And we talked about Ferrari having. They're, they have a window for theirs about the 13th to the 15th or so around that time as well. So, so it'll be on the 16th then. Yeah. It's, it's funny, won't it? Like, there will be not like, content will be slow. And then, like, in the space of a week, like, it's just car launch city. <laughs> it's, it's all or nothing. Yeah. It always has been. So, uh, that should be fun. Because we're going we, we, we were, we didn't cover this last season. We covered just the end of preseason testing and straight we into the season. The we were. Yeah, we late. were very late. Lead to the party. So, a couple of bits of bobs from news, from the news, rather, throughout the week. A pretty busy week on the front, on the uh, team principal front. Uh, first and foremost, this one was a surprise there on uh, January 13th. Uh, Alpine announced uh, the departure of Marcin Budkowski uh, as executive director. Now, of course, uh, Alpine, we talked we talked about when Safnar left last week about, you know, uh, Alpine kind of did theirs by committee, their, you know, their approach to kind of Team, didn't have a dedicated team principal, although Bukowski kind of ran things at Endstone. Uh, they didn't; he wasn't the team principal. And we thought perhaps that, you know, Aston Martin, you know, talked about kind of you know, one of the things they talked about was having people within. And we thought perhaps maybe they might take the Alpine direction. Well, Alpine won't won't even continue in their own direction as uh, Bukowski. Uh, leaves. I hadn't realised he was there for four years. It's it seemed like not yeah. that long ago that there was a big kerfuffle about him joining Renault from the FIA. But yeah, it's been four years, which is is crazy to me. But that's I guess time moves quickly in F one. It does. He's been one of the more silent people you don't really notice until last season, mm. obviously where he stepped up to fill the left the void left by Mister Squirrel. So. Yeah, quite a yeah. big void too. I was watching, uh, there was a video from The Race on a YouTube channel that came out about Budkowski and, and Alpine's kind of leadership and, you know, their their positions and how obviously the the the, the Cyril Abitbull departure kind of did lead them in a bit of a hole uh, through in 2021 in terms of how to go about, you know, who should take over team principal and it was going to be Budkowski and then it, at the and late it, you know, they, they they left him as his current role, which is executive director. And, you know, I think Bukowski maybe wanted that team principal role. But uh, there's a bit of, look, there's a bit of power struggles and dynamics at Alpine. It's, I'm not sure how it's going to go about next, but it's certainly, int- certainly the announcement of Bukowski departing was a, certainly a bit of a surprise. It's surprising, but, and the, the race also said that, that it was kind of, perceived that the three or four-way leadership that they got wasn't going to continue to work 
into the next season. So something was bound to happen sooner or later. It's just unfortunate that Bukowski is either left on his own bat after realising the challenge is too much or he's sort of been nudged towards the the uh, exit door. No, nothing's really been said on it, to be fair. No. no. It's, it's been very hush-hush with that. Yeah, the statements are very kind of friendly. Nothing really given away by either Budkowski or Alpine or and Laurent Rossi. I, it's, I, I feel like it's the latter. I feel like he's been nudged a bit, maybe a little bit more so than possibly Safnar was, who it turns out, uh, something that the race revealed in that video is that his contract ended in the at the end of twenty. I didn't realize that. No, I had, I feel like that's new. I feel like that wasn't reported before. That would have been that would have been all over the paddock if that was if that was known. Surely, because mm. like that would have been a big story if he. Obviously, I th- I think it makes more sense that he has gone now, based on the fact that his contract ended and obviously the results weren't great last season and he, he someone pretty much had to take the blame. And I, I assume who he was the one that taught the full brute force of Mr. Stroll's ego. <laughs> but also, it's interesting now that because he's not, because he didn't leave when he's got multiple years left, like, you know, like James Allison was relieved and the such, uh, it make it surely opens a door that Safnar can immediately join another competitor, like an Alpine, because if his contract is ended, then surely he's not under it's the same, he's not under the same kind of rules or... You know, as he would be if he was under contract and had to be released from said contract. Yeah, it's not like a team's approached him and bought him out of his contract, mm. and he's had to sit on guard and leave and wait for a year to join them. So now he could probably, I don't, I'm not 100 percent on it, but I'm pretty sure he can just walk straight in. Pretty sure. Are yeah. we expecting? Are we expecting Safnar now, especially in like because obviously the Safnar news came first, and now Bukowski is gone. This is all surely leading up to Safnar being announced at Alpine sooner rather than later. Yeah, I think it makes the most sense. He's he will bring stability to that team, and he's got a wealth of knowledge. He's been with Racing Point, Force India, Aston Martin, Alpha for twelve years, so he he knows what he's doing. And I think that experience is sort of where Alpine are lacking in the leadership department. Mm. Yeah, or certainly, I guess, clear leadership. Yeah, having that three-way leadership doesn't really work, in my opinion. Uh, it's the same anywhere. If you if you have more than one leader, it's, it's just going to cause chaos. No one's going to know who to turn to to make the decisions. And yeah, it, it, someone needs to be the clear man in charge, like there is with Toto Wolf, Benotto, Christian, mm-hmm. all them guys, all them teams. They know who the boss is. Yeah, absolutely. And it seems like Aston Martin have also taken a similar approach as well, as they announced this week that uh, former head of BMW Motorsport, uh, Mike Crack, not to be confused with uh, my arse crack, is Mike Crack. Uh, <laughs> Such a bad name. So I feel so bad for him. People, uh, people were quick on jokes <laughs> on on Twitter. It's I, I feel for the chap, but I blame his parents. <laughs> Yeah, Mike Oxfong is definitely going to be joining the team very soon. <laughs> Along with a huge ass. Yes. Uh, but uh, despite his unfortunate uh, name, which I can't wait to see how kind of, uh, you know, journalists and presenters and such go about, you know, how they, they're going to have to, like, do you know, like, do you remember Duck Hunt, the, the game? I do, I do. Um, Duck Hunt became a character in... Um, Nintendo's uh, Super Smash Brothers, and they have to like it's you have to pause in between, so it's a duck hunt, so they don't, you know, not the uh, yes, so they don't I say where you go with that, so they don't, yes. so they don't say, so they don't say a duck hunt, and it's gonna have to be the same here. They have to say Mike Crack. We have to stop in between because otherwise that is barreling towards an unfortunate, uh, mm. <laughs> unfortunate. It's gonna happen. It is gonna happen. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, uh, Cracks um, Pedigree Motorsport is is well kind of documented. It's well, it's well known. He was former head of BMW Motorsport. He has worked in F one as well. He worked with uh, Sauber. He was Felipe Massa's race engineer in two thousand and five, uh, before Massa moved to Ferrari. And he also worked uh, with Sebastian Vettel in two thousand and six when uh, Vettel before Vettel was in F one and before he moved to Red Bull. He was uh, obviously his first race in F1 was with uh, BMW Cyber, and Crack would have worked with him there. And uh, so he's got good, he's got t- over 20 years of F- of uh, motorsport experience and he's worked in F1. So uh, I am surprised they went with an external hire t- 
to be fair. We thought maybe this might be with Marsh written on the wall, but uh, they went for an... And especially, it's odd, right? They, they, they kind of talked about it in their statement when Safnar left that they have... Basically alluding that they have options within and then choose to not hire them <laughs> or from within. No, they, they might have just evaluated and thought, right, let's get some new perspective on it. Try something different. Might as well. It's a new reset. Think outside the box, Graham. Yeah, maybe. And obviously he, he was part of the Porsche project for Le Mans as well. So he was. He knows he knows what he's doing. He's a very I think it's a great, great hire, to be honest. I'm very intrigued to see how, how he gets some. Uh, some of the quotes that have come from this. Uh, this is from Crack himself. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> from, uh, <laughs> it's from uh, race fans and uh, Will Wood. Uh, I've been working. Oh, uh, this is what I'm referencing the, uh, the that, this article. I've been working in motorsport for over 20 years and worked in Formula One with Seb Vettel in 2006 and 2007 when I was a BMW Cyber engineer and he was the team's test driver. I have huge respect for his speed and ability, and it'll be fantastic to be reunited with him. Uh, now, I, I love, just I want you to spot the difference between the, that level of quote about one driver and this quote about Lance Stroll. Lance Stroll is a seriously fast and talented driver too, with a hundred Grand Prix starts to his name. I am very much looking forward to working closely with him. <laughs> That's all he has to say. Look, oh, he's raced over a hundred races, and right. he's and he's quick and talented apparently, which he has to say. That is uh, an interesting choice. Yes. Uh, so this uh, this next quote then is coming from Lawrence Stroll. Uh, Winning in Formula One is all about bringing together the best efforts of all the principal players, drivers, engineers, mechanics, everyone. And Mike is perfectly placed to do just that. We are hiring brilliant new people every week. Our new factory build is coming along very well. We have a fantastic roster of superb sponsor partners. We are about to embark on year two of our five-year plan, again, doubling down on this five-year plan to win the title, the objective of which is to win Formula One World Championships. All the ingredients we require are coming together. Mike will play a central and leading role. We're pointing to Martin Whitmarsh and are leading, are leading our technical and operational functions, our collective aim being to fulfill those lofty ambitions. We are on our way. The finishing period time. Yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine? To be fair, if, he, if they finish P10, that won't be on him. <laughs> no, he's, he's basically just coming in and working with what he's got. Yeah, essentially. So, yeah, uh, interesting. Yeah, I th- yeah, I think I think it's a good hire. To be fair, I think he just name aside. I think he will. I think he will uh, bring something different to the table, like you said. So I'm interested to see how they come together on that but it's interesting just to try out some of the quotes and such as it said again good to reference at a later at a later date yes and i i also think it'll work look at seidel and mclaren he's done a great job yeah absolutely and they they also work together so yes when they're part of porsche so that's an interesting one and also porsche get an f1 now yeah <laughs> the people there <are> <laughs> Well, you had uh, you had Maserati entering Formula E. Had to downplay any F one stuff, but uh, yeah. how many years was that? Was it? It's like seventy some years, is it not? Oh, uh, I think. I think. Yeah, I think so. I think Maserati. I think fifties, sixties, but more so fifties. Yeah, I, I know Formula E. Absolutely, all I saw on my Facebook page was just Maserati confirmed Formula E, and it was just this certain years. It just on and on and on and on and on and on about it. So mm. so annoying to see. <laughs> So there, now there was plenty of other news in the week regarding uh, F2. I feel like half the F2 grid has been announced in the last week. Uh, what day was it where it all kicked off? A Red Bull announced all of Friday. their... It was a Friday that they just... like Five seats were confirmed by Red Bull's five junior drivers and Ferrari have confirmed theirs as well. Um, in, in the fray as well. Not in F2, but... Uh, we'll save all that for next week because we're going to kick on this week what we started last week, which is a review of the 2021 teammate battles and the 2020 and previewing them in 2022. So we did last week, we did Mercedes, Red Bull, we did Alfa Romeo, Haas and Williams. And this week, basically it's the entire midfield, the upper echelon, the midfield and the rest of the midfield being Ferrari, McLaren, uh, Aston Martin, Alfa Tari and Alpine. 
Hmm. So it should be fun. We're going to start with McLaren because we end with Williams. Or sorry, with Ferrari. We could end with Williams last time. I didn't want to end with Ferrari. We're going to start with Ferrari. Obviously, new partnership with Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz. Uh, obviously, uh, Leclerc continuing his Ferrari journey. This is year three. This was year three, 2021, for Leclerc at Ferrari. And this was Sainz's first year of a two-year deal, although I'm pretty sure that will be extended Everything that has been reported or, or spoken about by Benotto has suggested that that's going to be extended. Yeah, and as it should. <clears throat> Absolutely. Uh, so here are the stats for the season between Leclerc and Sainz. Uh, Leclerc had the edge in the races 14 to 8. Race fans has this as 14 to 6. I think just taking into account DNFs and that kind of, kind of thing. In qualifying, it was Leclerc that had the 13 to 9 edge over Sainz. That was the same on race fans. Uh, Leclerc only had one podium to Sainz's four. I believe it was four. Uh, yep. Both had the highest f- uh, finish of second. Uh, Leclerc had two pole positions to his name. Uh, Scientist's best start was P2. Uh, Science just about edged the points, 164.5 to 159 of Leclerc. Uh, and Leclerc led convincingly ahead of Science, 775 laps to Science's 369. Of course. So... Yeah, <laughs> so kind of look. I've alluded. I, I've talked about this at length. I think this the ultimate standings where science has finished ahead of Leclerc doesn't really do that match up justice. Science got on very well, much better than I think anyone could have expected for him in year one at Ferrari, whereas Leclerc obviously well established now at this stage. But again, the kind of Leclerc definitely had the. Uh, unfortunate slices of luck compared to Sainz. Yes, whereas Leclerc got absolutely yeeted by Mr. Stroll in Hungary, Sainz ended up getting a podium. Um, Yeah, just things didn't go Leclerc's way when he needed them to. Probably should have won a race in Silverstone if the FI actually got the penalty system correct. Mm -hmm. Um, Leclerc's season was very underrated. I'd say the same for Sainz's as well, to be fair. They both did an absolutely spectacular job. More than I expected mm. from some, way more. I think Leclerc's season is definitely underrated, and I think not that scientists' season has been overrated. I think it's now. I think it's been adequately adequately rated now at this stage. I think everyone knows that science did an unbelievable job this season. But I think because of that, I don't. I think Leclerc has definitely flown under the radar as a result. Yeah, people sort of expect Leclerc to be there, and he's just in P four in a car that shouldn't be there. You know what I mean? He's been quietly picking up the uh, P4s, P5s when McLaren's and even Alpine's at points were quicker. So the, he should have should have finished a lot higher up, in my opinion. Yeah, it should have been more comfortable, uh, more comfortable victory for Leclerc over Science. But again, ultimately, the only, it's funny. Like the only real like he had obviously Science picked up more podiums on the season. Leclerc just the one in. In, in Silverstone but yeah I feel like generally speaking the rest of the kind of season stats do tell the more accurate story that Leclerc had I think had a on the balance a stronger season than Sainz that sounds weird even though Sainz had more points and more podiums but that's uh, that's at least certainly how at least I, I, how I feel about it yeah I, I agree with that so I guess looking ahead to 2022 uh, obviously same lineup uh, year four for Leclerc year two for science. This lineup, I think, in 2022 has the potential to get, I think, it has the potential to get out of hand, if you get me. I think it's, it's got kind of, I feel like it's got volcanic kind of, uh, it's got spice ready to brew over. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think, like, if mm. things pop off a certain way, I think it could blow. Uh, they're both very competitive drivers with a fiery edge to them. Neither are going to back down for the other. They got on well, these two, but neither's going to back down over the other. And I feel like if the Ferraris take a step forward and they are in a position to contend for victories and poles, I think we will see some more gamesmanship. I think we will see a little bit more unrelenting driving, similar to extent what we saw in Saudi Arabia towards the end of the season. Yeah, where it got very spicy towards the end of the season with the Ferraris, with them constantly being near each other. Mm. <laughs> it's very had me on edge quite a few times. I feel like they dodged a bullet in some ways last year because there were so many times where 
for one reason or another, they just weren't on the same pieces of track for a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Whereas I don't know if you can get away with that two years in a row. I think we will see a few more close calls. I think we will have to see Bonato maybe get a bit more involved. They're both mature drivers at this stage. You know, they shouldn't... Obviously, we saw... Look, I mean, you said the same about Vettel. And we saw him and the clerk come to blows. But I do think maybe to an extent that was more so Vettel's, I guess, pride perhaps coming into it versus a bit of Leclerc's stubbornness in year two. Yeah, that that was Vettel on his career downward trajectory coming through and then Leclerc becoming the rising star that he was. And obviously Vettel sort of becoming the number two of the team didn't really go down well with him. Mm -hmm. So whereas I, I feel with the signs and Leclerc is going to go in level pegging they they are equal which doesn't work it never never works when you have two drivers who are probably just as good as each other just one is more naturally talented than the other it cost McLaren a title in 2007 between Hamilton and Alonso and led Raikkonen to sneak through and win at the end yeah and obviously we saw Hamilton and Rosberg mm-hmm. obviously I'm not saying Rosberg is equally as talented as Hamilton but they were virtually the same pace and that's basically what Ferrari've got. And I would say, and this isn't me being biased either, I would say that is the strongest driver pairing on the grid. I think so. That's just facts. But it's, it's going to cause some friction. Because it, you would. And obviously these two are insanely hungry to get that first science, A, a first win, and mm. the cloak, get Ferrari back to winning ways. And then who who knows after that? I think how with how close these guys were last year, obviously that I think Bonato has said that there's no number one driver at Ferrari. Yeah. But I definitely think between the two drivers, that position is there for the taking. I think there could be a power struggle between the drivers this year as they look to edge their superiority over the other. And I think that could lead to a few more potential incidents this season. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And obviously, Sainz, if he doesn't get the contract early, he's going to have to be uh, putting on his best performances. So it'll be one that where he's out to prove himself, even though he doesn't need to. Because mm-hmm. obviously, if things get spicy and get out of hand, then Ferrari have the option there to uh, not renew his contract, which I'm sure they won't, because it'd be silly not to at that point. But you never know. It is Ferrari. The Italians do things in a different way. <laughs> I'd say this is the teammate battle I am most interested to see unfold this year. Yeah, it's not even close. Unless Lewis retires and someone insane gets put in the second Mercedes seat, then uh, yeah, this is definitely the one that's got me on my edge of my seat. Yeah, I can't wait. Oh, and when we absolutely dominate the Drivers' Championship and the Constructors' Championship, I'm definitely going to be coming back and... uh, (laughs) bragging about it for like the rest of the year and uh-huh. all that it's gonna be great um let's move on to mclaren then and then we'll go back down um mclaren obviously a uh, new partnership this year between uh landon norris and daniel ricardo moving over from renault uh it was one though that norris had the measure of for pretty much all the season uh norris won the battle in the races 15 to 7 uh, race fans as this is 14 to 6 in norris's favor uh qualifying 15 to 7 in norris's favor one pole position for Norris ahead of um, Ricardo. Obviously, didn't get a, a pole position this season. Uh, I counted four podiums for Norris. I thought that was more than that, but that was all. Only four. I thought it felt like it was five or six, but it probably should have been. But yeah, yeah. arguably, yeah, should have been. Uh, Ricardo just the one, but it, that one podium, of course, was his race win, which is obviously his best finish of the season. Norris's best finish, of course, was second in Monza. Uh, 160 points for Norris ahead of Ricardo's 115 and Norris was ahead 835 laps of Ricardo to Ricardo's 364. I'm going to be honest, mm. looking at those, I think Daniel Ricardo's done well to claw back that some of that deficit he had to Norris because it was quite convincing early, or I guess even even in the mid-season. Yeah, the thing is, with this, with this teammate battle... If you take off Ricardo's first part, first part of the season, and then you take off Lando's end of the season, it's a very interesting battle because they mm. were both. Norris wasn't there at the end of the season. Ricardo wasn't there at the start of the season. 
So the, the, you put that there and it's insanely close. Arguably Norris could have won in Monza, probably not. Could have won in Russia, obviously he uh, ignored the team. And Ricardo just wasn't quite there on uh, being comfortable with the car all the time. Which Norris, obviously, being with the team for three years, sort of knows how the car works and what the limitations are. So I, I wasn't surprised in a way that Lando beat Ricardo, but in the same respect I was, if you know what I mean. I didn't expect Ricardo to get beat down as much as he did, but like you said, he did do well to bring it back. Mm-hmm. Uh, the qualifying difference, I thought, well, I thought that Ricardo had some some rough qualifying. I kind of yeah kind of lent itself to some of what you're saying and as well he had some yeah i think he was really unlucky some races and he got stuck in some races as well and i feel like because he didn't qualify as well at times it kind of hampered him in the race and he's had he had i think i think i feel like he had some of the uh worst luck of the two as well he couldn't buy a break for a part of the season uh the tom star messages at the end of the races were, were difficult to hear at times you could tell he's a little bit down on himself before the summer break was uh, Ricardo was a was a difficult time for him, and then I feel like he I think he had an underrated finish to the season. To be fair, obviously he won the race in Monza, but I think he had some really good performances here and there uh, to show he was turning some corners. And we well look, we know he obviously struggled in his first season with Renault and was unbelievable, one of the best drivers on the grid in twenty twenty with with Renault. And I'd say it was the best, to be honest. In what in, for the machinery he had, arguably he was right mm. up there and. You know, I hope that he could make that progression again because we know he's got the pedigree. We know, obviously, when he's in the position and the car's underneath him and he feels good, we know he can do what he does. And what he did in Monza was no was no fluke. That was coming, you know, that result was not inherited. That was earned through both the sprint yeah. and in the race. His drive in the sprint was sensational. For, to say where he was, it was unreal. Great, great drive. I know you have to take the ability of the cars as well. It was tough to pass them on. So it's always been tough with these hybrid cars and this generation of cars. It's it's not been easy, but we've said this a few times. If you put Norris in that situation, they don't come away with a race win. It's, it just doesn't happen, I'm afraid. Yeah, I thought I really... But it just doesn't crack. The, the really, the, the, the kind of the experienced head of of uh, Ricardo really showed like he like despite not being in a position to win a race in three years you he it's like he never left like like he said he never left like the, that composure that you know how he acts at the front of a race is ex- almost exactly the same as he would if he was in the midfield he doesn't like I've listened to a lot of Ricardo radio when on board he doesn't really get flustered he doesn't get uh, let things overwhelm him I remember even when you know like when he got the penalty in Russia in 2020 you know my bad I'll make up for it. And he did. Yeah. I was just literally just going to say that. You had Hamilton crying at one end and then you have someone like him. All right, I've caught up. I'm going to sort it and do even better. Yeah. I love that. I love that mentality. It's absolutely unreal. Whereas in Russia, we saw Norris kind of crack a bit under the race-leading pressure. And again, I don't think he could have handled that situation in... Monza, the way Ricardo... Obviously, obviously he couldn't handle the way Ricardo did. Ricardo's been there more times. But, you know... Even still, I, I feel like Ricardo had a... It was tough at times, but looking into 2022, I really hope he can step it up and produce drives similar, I guess, not you know similar to that on a more consistent basis. Yeah, he just needs consistency. That's all it is. And just to be on... He just needs to be at one with the car from the get-go, pretty much, rather than taking six or seven races just to adapt. Obviously, it was a big change getting used to McLaren's systems and what have you, and that obviously slowed him down quite a bit at the start of last season. So, hopefully, with a complete reset, him and Norris are on level playing field. And uh, we can uh, see really what Ricardo's made of and what, really, it's a good test for Lando because Ricardo is not an easy driver to beat, as uh, Vettel found out. Mm. And Max, to an extent. Yeah. Ricardo is one of those drivers towards the end of the season where it felt like he needed the break. Like he was, he seemed quite. He talked. He talked openly about how you know, kind of tired he was, and he was looking forward to resetting over the winter. And obviously, he went back home to Australia. And I hope, uh. I hope his preparation for the season 
you know, from that point of view, is going to lead to a a really, really strong season. I would love to see him take it to Norris and put himself in those situations where Norris was so often last season. Yeah, I, I think if he's in them positions, he absolutely aces it. You give him the opportunity, he's not going to let it go. Yeah. Not without a fight. No chance. And like I say, I think the family thing is a big thing for him. Not being able to go back to Australia and see his family in person, I would say that's that would have quite an effect on me. What was it, like two sure. years that he's not been home to see them? Obviously, finally gets home to see them. There's a chance that we go to Australia as well. I'm sure that'll rally him up because he's not been there for two years for an F1 race. So hopefully we'll see the Australian Grand Prix as well. I'm sure that'll be amazing if McLaren at the front and he's got the opportunity to put on a great display for the uh, Aussie fans. Mm. Hopefully. So, yeah, looking forward to... I haven't really talked about much about Norris, uh, I guess, for 2022. I mean, does he have more to come? Is, you know, it's... I think if he could maintain... Look, obviously, people will be looking for a progression with Norris, but I think if he could maintain his form from the start of the year or, you know, similar to it and carry it, you know, through the season, on the kind of he struggled a bit towards the back end of last season, I think consistency would be a strong... Uh, a strong 2022 for for Norris to kind of solidify some of those performances we saw early on that kind of tailed away a bit. Yeah, I, I was just going to say he needs to do basically what Science did at Ferrari and just be consistent and just get on with it and just go under the radar. And then I, 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 I we said this a few weeks ago. I, we both think he's probably one of the next ones apart from Russell that's going to get that first race win. Mm-hmm. So and that's probably where I'm, I'm thinking his, his his head is probably at as well. First win and maybe a couple poles, depending on the competitiveness of the car. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll see with Norris. Do you think McLaren and Ferrari will be up in the mix with Red Bull or possibly, you know, Mercedes? Will, we don't know what the pecking order is, but do you think will those two teams will be up there? I'll be very surprised if they aren't, based on the momentum that they carried on from the last few, from last year. Mm. And McLaren's progression is just going up and up and up. So... I'm I'm hoping they are because I want to see as many teams as possible at the front. I don't want just oh we're only going to have a battle between four cars this race for the race victory, mm-hmm. and nine times out of ten it was two. So yeah. hopefully we can have eight because that would be very 2012 esque, and that was in my opinion one of the most fun seasons to watch. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and let's move on then to Aston Martin uh, briefly. Um, Yes, we'll make it quick. Uh, obviously, Vettel and Stroll, new partnership there uh, for 2021. Uh, in the races, uh, Stroll actually beat Vettel 12-9. to 9. Uh, Race fans, as this is 10-7. to 7. In qualifying, Vettel had the superiority 14-8. to 8. Uh, 13-8, to 8, according to race fans. With Vettel's best qualifying of 5th, compared to Stroll's 7th. Uh, Vettel had the edge on points 43 to 34 in Vettel's favour. Uh, one favour, rather. Uh, one podium for Vettel. Uh, Stroll did not get to the podium this uh, in 2021. Uh, second place being Vettel's obviously best finish in Baku. Uh, Stroll got sixth as his best finish. Uh, but Stroll was ahead of Vettel for more often than the season. 623 laps to Vettel's 522. So, mm. I guess a tale of two days, so to speak, between the Saturdays and the Sundays. Uh, Stroll, more often than not, actually fishing ahead of Vettel, but the 18 points that Vettel collected on Baku, compared to, you know, obviously Stroll was ahead of Vettel, I believe. Actually, Stroll was having a good weekend, I believe. In uh, uh, I'm not sure if he was ahead of Vettel, but he was having a good weekend in Baku, obviously, before his tyre blew out. But really, that was the difference between their two seasons, really, was Vettel picked up 18 points that day, Stroll none, and really that was a year difference between them this season. Stroll probably chipped away at it, uh, but obviously that 18-0 to uh, deficit that day kind of really coming to bite Stroll in the end of the teammate battle. It did, but the thing is, you had another 18 points on for Hungary, which was yeah. taken away from Vettel from no fault of his own. Yeah. Then that gap is huge. Is it not? It's, it's probably double, right? Mm. If you had on 18 to what it is. Obviously, Stroll was an absolute embarrassment that race. So, Stroll, for me, for this season was very disappointing. He seemed to take a. We've said this a few times already that he seemed to turn a corner in 2020, seemed to sort of living up to the potential that he has. And putting some great displays in qualifying, obviously picking up the pole in Turkey and just being an all-round better driver than what I expected him to be. And then 2021 came around and he's been okay. Just 
nothing really that made me go, wow, he's actually doing a really good job here. And Vel, apart from Baku and Hungry, really didn't do anything either. It just... The car obviously wasn't great either, which didn't help. So they sort of had one hand tied behind the back the entire season and just had to make do with the opportunities when they presented themselves. Yeah. See, unlike that, was twice. unlike that Alpine where it was, you know, still quick enough to actually capitalise on opportunities like Ocon did in Hungary and Alonso uh, earned it through in Qatar. Really, they're kind of, it was, I guess, in a sense, lost seasons for both Stroll and Vettel with how bad that car was. They weren't great with it, don't get me wrong. Uh, Vettel making more of, of the opportunity that was in front than and Stroll did, but yeah, I think you're right. It was just, they were just such a disadvantage that, you know, it, it just, yeah, it was, I guess, in some ways, a lost, a lost cause. So, uh, their 2021 will be one to forget. Really, like, I mean, Vettel has it under his belt a year under the with the team, I guess, is maybe your biggest advantage, really, coming from 2021. Yeah, yeah, probably. Just that experience and getting used to the surroundings. I think he expected that, though, kind of. Not obviously, he didn't expect to finish P8 or 7 or whatever it was in the Constructors, P7. But I'm, I'm sure he didn't expect to immediately click. So, yeah. Hmm. Well, they have retained the pair for a 2022, to no one's real surprise. Um, I don't. I, I mean, conceivably, they could very much get this right. Could Aston Martin, and they could be up there. Like again, like they're only like uh, you know, obviously they're only a year removed from you know fighting for thirds and podiums and the such in 2020 with their Mercedes clone. They could get it right again, and they could be in a place where they, you know, they could be fighting for P fours and fives and podiums, and who knows? Um, how I guess how big is it of a year for both drivers? I think it doesn't really matter with Stroll either way. Really, he's in F one regardless. But for Seb, it's huge. It's I think, did we both say that we expected him to retire at the end of 2022? Or did you say that he got another year left in him after that? Uh, I mm, depends how well this year goes, I think. I, apparently, I I was looking somewhere. Apparently, he's not. He's, his contract is up at the end of this year. Yeah, yeah. That, that's what I was going to say. His, his contract is... I've, I've read it's up this year. And it wouldn't surprise me if he did decide to... Like you, see, like you say, depending on how good that car is. If it's just mediocre, he'll just do a Kimi and just retire. But if it's decent, then why would he stop? Mm. You know what I mean? It's it's one of them, isn't it? But saying that, I don't think he'll be there. Based on 2022, for the start of this season, I don't think he'll be there. For 2023? 2022. You don't think he'll show up this year? I don't think he'll be at that team. <laughs> hmm. I, I've oh. seen some rumours right basically depending on what happens with Hamilton and the whole FIA situation that Toto will go for an experienced driver and then uh, Vettel is one of the easier ones to prize out of his contract so I'm sure he. I'm going to say now Vettel won't be at Aston Martin in 2022 very, very interesting. And look, we know Toto Wolf and Lawrence Stroll got on, got on pretty well. I'm sure they could work something out. Yeah, and I'm sure Lawrence has probably got some IndyCar driver that he wants to bring over. Or his other son. Or, or put in his daughter in the team. Why not? <laughs> no? Make it an all Stroll, all Stroll outfit. Stroll racing. Yeah, who knows? Well, that's... <laughs> <See>. <laughs> I'm interested to see what they do next year. I think I think it is big years for both. I know you say Stroll, you know, and you're probably right. You know, he's probably there regardless. But again, if they're really good and his performances are lacking, and he's costing them millions of dollars in terms of finishing position in the constructors, I do wonder, like, if you know, if if the gap is that big, I wonder if maybe something might have to change with uh, make the tough decision to you know to maybe look about getting someone else in the car. Like Stroll's still young, but. Uh, again, like again, eventually money talks, like you say. And if Lance Stroll is costing the team money in terms of, you know, missing out on prize money, then 
eventually, no matter who you are, I think that eventually catches up to you. So will this year be the year? Maybe not, but maybe in the future it could be. Mike to crack down. <laughs> no? Yeah? No? Maybe? No? No, <laughs> no but surely... If there's a new person coming in from the outside, you would surely be looking at the drivers at the end of the season if they're not performing to what you think they should have done. Because I, I would be. If the team's got the car there and it's, it's showing on the data that it, it should be faster than and got more points than what it has, then surely it's time for a change. And Daddy Shaw will probably buy him a seat at Haas instead and buy that team as well. I would love to be a fly in the wall for the conversation to have with Stroll, Lawrence Stroll to say... Can we look at see if they're replacing your son with someone else? Oh, I would pay Netflix all the money I have. <laughs> just put in the smallest camera into that room of that. Yeah. Know. You know what I mean? Just to see his face hit the floor. Oh, so good. So, so good. Just like my crack is instantly fired. <laughs> yeah. Get out. Uh, let's move on then to uh, Alpine. Uh, second last one uh, Alpine of course finished uh, in fifth place uh, with a new partnership of Alonso and Ocon uh, arguably this may have been one of the closest ones if not the closest battle on it definitely was the closest the grid uh, the races uh, went 11 to 10 in favour of Alonso uh, race fans this is 9 to 9 in qualifying 11 11 apiece on both uh, Alonso's best qualifying was third with Ocon's best being fifth 81 points for Alonso to Ocon 74 uh, one podium apiece uh, third place for Alonso in Qatar, a race win for Ocon in Hungary. Uh, Alonso was ahead for 626 laps to Ocon's 502. Uh, these two were very, very close. I guess, you know, maybe that was a bit of a surprise given how, at least sir, how kind of bad Ocon was in comparison to Ricardo last year. Although he was benefited from, two, I guess, two factors for that. I guess it was Ocon's first year back in, similar to how it was Alonso's first year back in. And Alonso's injuries before the season probably didn't help with the uh, plate in his jaw. So, but Ocon did show improvement at the start of the season. Earned himself a three-year contract. So, congratulations to him. Yeah, yeah, he did somehow. Don't ask me how. I don't. I've, it's still one of them decisions that I don't think if if Otmar's in charge, <laughs> I don't think that happens. I really don't. <laughs> no, probably not. I, I, I'd love to know who was responsible for that. Probably Squirrel. He was He was gone, though. He was probably already on the table. I mean, it's it's one of them bizarre decisions that I think we'll be looked back on in F1 in the future, and people will just be like, what? Why? Why? For five races, you've given him a three-year deal. Ah. <laughs> Uh, congratulations to uh, Esteban Ocon's representation for negotiating that one. Because what leverage did they have? Oh, we've got we've done well in the uh, Bahrain Grand Prix. Yes, three year contract, please. Yes, <laughs> I just, I just hand out for free. Like if they lost him, like like what was what was the what was the threat? Like we have to sign this now. <laughs> yeah, who's he going to we'll, go we'll to? We'll sign this. We'll sign this before the summer break. Oh. In fact, it was before. I want well to say it was before. before Blumen. It was like, hey, it was announced that he did sign a new three-year deal. It was so strange timing. Couldn't <laughs> stand like late on in the season. But no, <laughs> doesn't even make any sense. Hold on, let me, I want to see when this was announced. Um, like if if he'd have won, and it was like, yeah, right. If if when he'd won the Hungarian Grand Prix. And they basically said to him, right, if you win, we'll give you a three-year contract. And that's what happened, then fair enough. But I, I don't think his results at the start of the season really warranted that long of a contract. A one-year, fair enough. But not that long. It was between Azerbaijan and France. So PR. Right, of, course <laughs> of course it was, yeah. Alpine, French, French driver, yeah, PR. Do it. Great headline. So... Anywho, it was much closer, though, than we expected uh, between the two. They were, these two highlighted and demonstrated uh, probably on the balance of the season the best teamwork on the grid between them, the two of them. And I think that speaks volumes considering the fact they were in a tight battle for fifth place for a fair amount of the season. And obviously both wanted to get the best results possible. It's not like a clear number one and two driver like it was Verstappen and Perez, for example. You know, they were 
you know, in the thick of it in the midfield. And they still showed very solid, excellent teamwork between the two. And were genuinely happy for each other's successes as well. Yeah, obviously Alonso absolutely sprinted up to Ocon when he won the race in Hungary. And I'm sure Ocon did basically the same when when Alonso got the podium in Qatar. It, it, I haven't seen that in a long time. The, the excitement in both of their faces when the results came home. And they deserved it. They really did. That, that was one of the most wholesome things I've seen, probably since Felipe Massa's um, Guard of Honour when he retired from the 2016 uh, Brazilian Grand Prix was when Alonso went up and like hoisted Ocon when he won the Hungarian Grand Prix. Like that, Those scenes afterwards were really moving and touching. Yeah. Yeah, they were. So, and I don't see why that won't continue next year as well, or this year as well. I do. <laughs> uh, the only reason I say that, Alonso probably knew he wasn't going to be in a front-running car. But if you take that midfield car away from him and put him in a competitive machine, then I think we see a different beast one that I don't think you'll be a knobhead. I think you'll just be a bit more I'm driving for me type thing. I'm not driving for to help you at the same time unless he knows that he's not the number one type thing. Mm. I have an interesting take on that as well in the sense that if this car is towards the front, I could see Alonso being up at the front but not Ocon. I think if this car is more competitive... I think one will go and one won't. And I could see Ocon not really going with and handling the responsibilities and pressures of a, of a, of a car that may have legitimate kind of front running or a, a top, kind of top three, top five kind of pace. Yeah, I, I, I 100% agree with that. That's, uh, that's not even a question, I don't think, because I think Ocon is overhyped, to be honest. He's decent. And should be in Formula One, no doubt about that. But I don't think he has the next step in him to make up to the front of the field and stick with the top tier drivers like you, Sainz, Leclerc, Alonso, Max, Lewis, even Bottas type drivers, Danny Rick. Whereas Alonso is is probably the top three on that grid for me. I just know where Ocon belongs in terms of like. Because you can't put him in conversations with like Leclerc or Russell or Norris, but at the same time he's better than I, th- you know, probably arguably better than Bottas, better than, you know, uh, do like Albon, better than I don't know, you know, like he's better than you know uh, maybe guess, you know a third of the grid, but I just don't, I can't put him comfortably. He just doesn't done enough, yeah, to show me. Like if he was more consistent, then I would be able to place him somewhere. He's just very up and down, I would say. One race he can be up in the points, doing a great race, and then the next race he can be P14, and you don't see him all race, and nothing gets said. So it yeah. doesn't, doesn't surprise me. I still think the best Ocon that we've seen is the one that was Ash Force India. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So And even that one was you know, outfoxed and outdueled by Sergio Perez. Unsurprisingly, though. No, yeah, say. not surprisingly, not surprisingly. Although but he did a great job. I feel like if Ocon was this, you know, such an awesome prodigy that, you know, it would have been, you know, either him. closer or, and like you say, him. It wouldn't have been a question. It would have been him. He was next in line. So I, th- I think it's somewhere in between. Yeah. And obviously, I've just said this about Vettel. If Mercedes do lose Hamilton, then they've got option on I'm sure they've got an option on Ocon because I'm sure Toto is some form of his management so surely he would be in the conversation but is he behind De Vries at this point I think he's I I think he's I think he's in front of De Vries just based on the fact that he you know he's in F1 yeah yeah true true it'd be very close though very close maybe I I really see anything difference differences between them really both very meh. I think it is closer than a lot of people realise. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's just not even close. I, I don't think Mercedes would want to put him in there, to be honest. 
Again, there's, I think they'd rather go for Alonso. There's a reason why they chose Russell and now Ocon to step up. Yeah, and the, the, there wasn't ever a rumour of Ocon even stepping up, to be honest. Not in the last two years, anyway. No. So, yeah, I'm interested. I'm, I'm in, the sense, in the sense, I don't think it'll even be a problem because I, I'm worried about Alpine. I'm worried that they might not get this right. I don't trust them to get this right. This, this, well, just look at the book there, Marks, for God's sake. <laughs> you know, so I, I don't, I something about it. I don't know what it is. Maybe I don't know what it is. I just don't feel like they're going to get this right. As a result, they're not going to be where they want to be. Yeah, I, I will say this as well. This all this farting about of the team principles that they could have done immediately after Abu Dhabi, which they should have done immediately after Abu Dhabi. We're halfway through January. And they don't have a leader in place. To me, that's it. Setting themselves up to fail, if I'm honest. It's not where I'd want to be. I'd want to, if I was coming into a new team, then I would want to be there as many days as possible before the season starts to get myself familiar and get, make sure everything's on point before we start the new season. Not a month or so before, or a couple of weeks before the car launches. To be, <laughs> you know I mean? to be fair, I think... They probably planned it this way in terms of like beforehand, but and then I think everything that's happened since Opmeyer is left has been reactionary. Yeah. So like probably. dominoes have fallen into place. And to be fair, I think they'd be in a better position with Opmeyer at the helm, even if he comes late, than they would probably I guess long term. I guess I guess they'd be in a better position with Opmeyer than they would be with this three leadership thing. Yeah, true. So true. if they get Opmeyer and he's able to be on the team on the wall for the start of the season, may ultimately I think that probably would be the better scenario. It's late, but I think probably things would have worked out. I think better. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Um, so we'll see though. Like if if they don't get Opmeyer, then it is going to be a bit more confusing. But it's going to be very confusing. Anywho, uh, let's move on then to Avatari. Finally. Uh, if we've recovered like the you know the closest teammate battle. Arguably, this is the one that was not the closest at all. It was Gasly versus Sonoda uh, in the races. Gasly finished ahead sixteen to five. Uh, race fans says it's thirteen to three. Excuse me, in qualifying twenty one to one in favor of Gasly. Uh, race fans has this at fifteen to one. Uh, high, uh, best qualifying for Gasly was second. Of course, this is becoming a Qatar. Uh, Sonoda's was 7th, and uh, well, the points margin was not close. 110 points for Gasly, 32 for Sonoda. Uh, just the one podium for Gasly, I believe, which came in Baku. Obviously, Sonoda's best finish came in 4th uh, at the end of the season, where Sonoda, uh, Gasly obviously picked up a 3rd in Baku. And in terms of laps ahead, uh, Gasly was ahead of Sonoda for 779 laps to Sonoda's 185. And I have a feeling yeah. a lot of those may have been pit stop related. <laughs> Yeah, same. Um, it, there's not a ton to say for 2021 because, I mean, it, like we talked about, Sonoda is one of the most disappointing drivers of the season. Uh, it was not close. Uh, Sonoda looked like he, he seemed to find his feet a little bit better towards the end of the season. And he's going to have to hope that fourth place carries a lot of momentum into next season because, arguably, you know, this is make or break for Sonoda next year, especially with five juniors in F2 this year for Red Bull and obviously highlighted by F3 champion Dennis Hauger uh, with a top team in Prema you know obviously doing with Virtue uh, UNI Virtuosi you know you still have Lawson and Vips you know in the mix they got some super license points they can be in the mix as well uh, I don't expect a Wasa to be in the mix here but you know five F2 juniors in F2 it's a big year for Yuki Tsunoda yeah he's basically he got it all to do but I'm pretty positive he'll be fine unless he has exactly the same season as what he's had this year unless Red Bull decide that they want to move two up and have a complete line of new line of the 2023 then I'll be which I'll be very surprised in but you never know there is, like I said there is five in F2 then I'll be very surprised if their friends decides that they uh, need to make a double substitution shall we say well, the, the last double substitution was 2015 with uh, Verstappen and Sainz, and that probably, yeah, exactly. That, that probably worked out well. I say doubles like well, technically they had two 
if you want to get into specifics, I guess, you know, 2018 tech. I know Gasly was from the end of 2017, but yeah, if you want to get into... And again, like you had Albon and Kvyat in in 19, but they had, you know, Kvyat had been there before, but, you know, brand new for Stappen and, and Sainz. I mean, I would imagine this. Imagine if they brought up Doohan and Hauger and they could be like, this, you know, the new Verstappen and Sainz. That'd be funny. Yeah, I'd, I'd I'd enjoy that, to be fair. That would be very interesting. But that would spell the end for uh, a couple of the other ones. Yeah. Sorry, he's six in F2. There's Daruvula as well. I forgot about Daruvula. Yeah, that's six. <laughs> um, the 20-car grid. The 22-car grid, is it? There's six. Hold on. Uh, hold on. How are you doing... Lawson, Bips, Devaster, Teruvula, six. <laughs> Jeez, I, some of them are going to have to get released. This is this is like this is Red Bulls. This is Ferrari's twenty twenty essentially, but worse, way worse. <laughs> uh, it's weird. I don't even view like we're talking about teammates. I don't even view Gasly and Snowden in the same vein. Like I feel like they're so different and like they're so separated entities like pace wise that Gasly always operates independently as such from from Sonoda like it, they're just not even on the same wavelength I feel like is the, is the issue like it's like I don't even to be honest I don't, I don't even I don't even care as to what Gasly does versus Sonoda they've not he's nothing to prove Sonoda's the one with everything to prove yeah Gasly I don't think we really need to talk about him because apart from that apart from him getting a new move to a, a bigger or a different branch of a team, then he's really got nothing to do at all in yeah. 2022. It's a basically a, a, a block year for him. It's just see where the land lies and make your move, pretty much. Yeah, I think this is audition year for Gasly because I, I, cause I think this is last year at AlphaTauri. I, I, I think this is last year at AlphaTauri, unless they're like up there, which they weren't. I, I, very surprised. Very surprised. Even then, even if they're all there, Graham. This is last year at Alvatari. Yeah. There's no way. He, if he doesn't get the Red Bull drive for the 2023, he's, he's, he's gone. Somewhere else, whether, you know, it be Aston Martin or, you know, uh, something, something like maybe spot was up at McLaren or, you know, Mercedes. Who knows? Like, it's. There is a sense of where else does he go, but. It would be a sideways step, regardless, wherever it is. I'm pretty much sure. Yeah, I, I it doesn't work out for him really. I yeah, I th- I think it's his last year in Avatari, and I it's Snowda could be in the same bracket. You know, it really could be one of those things. Uh, yeah, which is why Snowda needs to prove himself to, so they have some continuity going into twenty twenty three. But I don't see it happening to be honest. I reckon this is the most irrelevant team battle of next year, and I'm including or this year, and I'm including Schumacher and Mazepin because. You know they're shooting for something, I guess, between each other. Whereas, again, like Gasly, we know what Gasly will do. Gasly will go and he'll qualify well. He'll do a good job. Hopefully, that it's a better race car for him to actually leverage some of those, uh, you know, good qualifying results that he had last year into more positive ones where he can get a few more podiums this year. And again, like he rarely shared a track, same bit of track as Sonoda. Sonoda is the one with everything to do, and Sonoda is going to be the one that has to take it to the Gasly more to give AlphaTauri and Red Bull something to think about, whether they can, you know, if Gasly moves on, be in a position where you have Sonoda as, you know, can he step into a team leader role? Can he be a number one driver? We're going to, again, this is all about Sonoda this year between, for AlphaTauri. And again, Gasly is not, I don't think really, you know, involved much here. Like he'll do what he does and he'll pick up the points and he'll do all that. Um, But yeah, Sonoda's got to be the one to step it up. Yeah, and obviously Honda aren't there to uh, sort of push Red Bull in Yuki's direction, really. So mm-hmm. you got you got to watch that one as well. So yeah, a bit of a bit of a, bit of a yeah, anticlimactic wrap up to that. But uh, it's one of the most again in terms of teammate battles, that's the one I'm I, maybe I'm least interested in because again I could you could hype me for Schumacher and Mazepin like those two are fiery. They'll go at it. They'll go and we saw it last year. And you know I guess with. Williams, I guess, a little less excited to Albon and, and Latifi, but yeah, I think I'm the least excited about uh, Gasly and Sonoda. Yeah, same, to be honest. It's very, very boring. 
Yeah, yeah, it is, isn't it? Like, now if you put Hauger and Doohan in 2023, cue the fireworks. I, I, I'd be so excited to see that. Yeah, but even then, even one of them with Gasly is yeah. more interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because I, th- I think they would do a job than what Yuki did last year. 100%. Even Lawson and Vips, I think, would do a decent enough job compared to what Sonoda did. The sweepstakes. <laughs> yeah, I don't think. Yeah, well, the Prima drive for him is fascinating. Like, very interested to see what he does. Yeah. With that, yeah, if he can find form. But the, again, the sweepstakes here are huge. Like, again, like a 2020 situation with Ferrari, it, the winner probably gets to F1 some way or another. Yeah, basically. The winner takes it all. You know? Hashtag ABBA. And, <laughs> and I don't like. I look at this grid. Like, now Schwartzman's gone and Joe is gone. It's going Hunt to be for next week, Graham. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But like, it just just as a loose conversation, like who is going to challenge Hauger or Doohan? Is it going to be Drogovic? Is it going to be like who is coming back here? That's going to like it's going to be. I think it's going to be a, like Vips or Porcher. It's got to be one of those. Otherwise, yeah, for me it's Porcher. But so it's it's, it's literally them. It's Porcher versus the Red Bull gang. Yeah, I so was... not even gang. It's blooming every man in the world. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I think me and you should be signed up to Red Bulls, to be fair. I mean, do, right? there's two seats at um, Van Amersfoort, so... Yeah, that's an interesting one. That is a very interesting one. I'm sure they'll be going double dutch. You'd imagine something of the sort. Uh, yeah, although the, the Dutch be... drivers in F3 weren't great last year. Who was it? Timo what van der Hel? Was he one of them? Blooming, yeah. What do you mean? Blooming... Vesti's Dutch, isn't he? No, no, he's not. I thought Vesti was not Dutch. What is he? Oh, he's Danish. No. What is he? He's from that... Hold on. excellence. Uh, he is from Denmark, yes. Yes. Well, he's basically near... It is very close, to be fair. Yeah, but that would be a very strange move for him. Very strange for Mercedes <laughs> to put him in a new team. Yeah, that, yeah, well, he's not confirmed at the moment, so who knows? Yeah, but I would be probably moving on to F one. You know, <laughs> never know. Drop him in the Mercedes, or not? I think uh, he because when you win F three, you almost have enough super license points. Yeah, yeah, you do, don't you? <laughs> you know, and he was very close. Hauger, you know. So <laughs> yeah, that'd be that'd be hilarious. Like you just promote from F three rather than like F two. Ignore your F2 completely and just go straight to F3. Yeah. Even F4, you know. Sure, why not? Even go-karts, why not? So, so there we go. That was our um, our 2021-22 review preview for a lineup. So, yeah, excited. So, in, in essence, excited to see Leclerc, Sainz. I'm excited to see McLaren's one. I'm excited to see Haas's one. Uh, Mercedes, to a degree. I'm, I'm not massive on... Uh, not massive on... That one because I'm not I'm, like he's like I'm not a massive George Russell fan. No, me neither. But I do like to see him do a, a decent job. He's he's just one of them where I'm like mm, I'm okay, curious, but you know I'm interested. But I'm not as you know, I'm more interested for Schumacher and Mazepin than I am Russell and Hamilton. Yeah, so. I might be insane, but because I've watched them in F2, I feel more excited for that one. Um, Max and Perez, you know, I'm not really too fussed about that because that'll be one way. Um, Joe and Bottas I'm not fussed because Bottas will be that one I'm interested how Joe gets on F1 but you know, I'm expecting Bottas to kind of reign supreme there as I am with Albon versus Latifi uh, you know so really it's Ferrari, McLaren Haas, Alpine and those are the ones I'm really excited for and I guess we'll see after that yeah so Anyways, anything you'd like to add onto any of that before we uh, we wrap up? No, that is all from me. Um, as we kind of alluded, uh, next week, unless something groundbreaking hits, um, we talk about because most of the F two grid was confirmed uh, this this week or that's last week. So uh, I'm interested. In, in, in there's one two. Uh, there's one, two, oh, I say five, six or so, six or seven uh, seats, six seats left to fill 
in F2. Uh, there's a Campos C, there's a Trident, two Van Amersfoort, Charus, and the high, that high-tech C would be interesting. And we think ART will be Vips. Vips? Vesti. Oh, Vesti, excuse me, sorry, yes. Yes, the, the, there is a few that I can pretty much guaranteed will be in there, but I'll be very surprised if some aren't. It'll be an interesting conversation. I want to mention this now before I, in case I forget next week. Um, the more I'm seeing this fill out, the more I'm thinking that uh, Martins is going to stay in F3 and go for the title. Yeah, same. That's literally what I was going to say. You know, uh, we don't know. Uh, Alpine haven't really announced what they're doing with their, their juniors yet, as Red Bull and Ferrari have, but uh, at least not yet. But the more I'm seeing this, like, unless you can sneak him into high tech or because... I mean, I wouldn't like. Like, I'd rather leave him, or you know, where like, Shrews. Trident Shrews. Yeah. What's he gonna do at these? Like, Campos maybe is a decent seat. Not but, really. But the best one is by far is, and I'm assuming that ART one's going to vest you. But that the best one by far that's out there and attainable is the high tech one. Yeah, it literally depends on what ART decide to do and what Mercedes and Alpine decide to do, isn't it? So, Because whichever one doesn't decide to do it, I'm sure the other one will get it. So I want to say that now, in case in case I forgot next week. So I will bring it back up. Though. Yeah, I think we probably, just in case, I, I didn't want to let that one go. But anywho, uh, that is going to do it for another edition of the Switchback Formula One podcast. Uh, I have been Graham. I have been Emperor Creampuff. <laughs> what on earth? You know when you when we was on FIFA last night, and you you saw it on uh, Cocker's uh, share play, and you saw Emperor Puff. Oh, that's <laughs> right. So yeah. the caption they released the, a, a, a basically a pack for your stadium, and the caption is "All hail the sovereign ruler of the Imperial Feline Realm." Oh, amazing! I'll send you a picture of it. It's hilarious. Oh, I saw it go into the code, and I absolutely pissed myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, amazing. And uh, we shall see you uh, next week. Goodbye.